Hey everyone, this is Becoming a Bible Nerd. I'm Carrie Hunt, and I'm so glad that you are joining us. I believe this ancient Eastern text was never meant to study alone, so we choose to do it in community. We'll take one book a semester, one chapter a week, and really dig in to understand the context and the culture that the book was written in so that we can better understand how to apply what God was saying to our lives. Our goal is to equip you and your community to fall more in love with Jesus because you have fallen in love with his word. This season, we're going through the book of 1 Corinthians, and today's episode is 1 Corinthians. Corinthians chapter one, God's church at Corinth. Well, I'm really glad to be back into the swing of things. I love it. It helps. Um, well, one, I do it in community. Whenever we're in between semesters, my team doesn't meet. Um, and I love being in community. It, um, it also gives me accountability and just helps me dig in in a deeper level than I would just on my own. I want to encourage you, if you're just getting started, pick up a study Bible. Study Bible has notes in the bottom and graphs and pictures and all those kind of things that help us understand what we're reading and more accurately. Pick up a journal. It is proven, not a not something that you're going to type into, but something that you're going to write. Pen to paper does something to your brain that helps etch into our brain the content so that you can understand and process that understanding in a deeper way than just typing something out. And I encourage you to download the Enduring Word app. If you're not familiar with what commentaries are, commentaries are man's interpretation, but these men have studied they're scholars, they know the biblical languages, they're a lot brilliant, more brilliant than you and I, and I feel like, um, and what they do is they help explain the historical context and what some of these words meant truly with, before they were translated, because sometimes things get lost in translation, and they'll help you understand it. It's no different than going to church on a Sunday morning and hearing a pastor explain the text. It is that type of thing in writing with the most brilliant minds. Now, again, the most brilliant minds can be corrupted with human wisdom, so we don't trust these commentaries like we do the word of God, but we really can get some good insights. So if you download the Enduring Word app, it's Pastor David Gusick. It's his notes. He's trusted. He um, writes on a very easy to understand level and it's very user friendly. So you're reading 1 Corinthians chapter um, chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 and you're like, well, what in the world does that mean? He will tell you in very common, easy to to understand languages. So we're going to get started. And this letter um, begins with Paul um, and his regular greeting. We see this in depth. We talk about this in depth in many of our other, other studies of his letters or his epistles. Whenever people say um, the epistles, that's just a ridiculous, fancy, um, non-cultural way <laughs> to say letters. It's letters that Paul wrote to the churches that he planted. He starts off by saying, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by God's will. He is writing this church in Corinth that he established, well, God established, he back through Paul and he's writing them, reminding them what authority he comes in and cause he's going to have to bring some correction. So he wants to re-communicate that he is called by God. The letters also from Sosthenes, our brother. Sosthenes would have probably been the scribe for Paul, and this very well could have been the same leader of the synagogue that we talked about in the introduction that we met in Acts that got beat by who knows who, but he was leading a revolt against Paul. So if it is the same Sosthenes, look at the work of the Holy Spirit. How beautiful is that? In fact, John Corson 
a pastor that I like to listen to after I do my studying pointed out that we need to be suspicious. I laughed because um, my kids would say sus. We need to be sus about people who so loudly oppose us. Perhaps um, the more passionately they oppose us, the more they are at war with the stirrings in their own heart. So have your eye, have one eye, um, just, you know, laser fixed on these people that are so adamantly against you because you never, never know why they're so passionately against you. And it could very well be that the Holy Spirit is at work in their heart. I have a personal testimony of this. Um, in my early college years, I was in Bible college living and working in Dallas, and I worked at one of the large hotels in downtown. And everyone was accepting that I was a believer. I was in Bible college and I worked with people that had very different beliefs and views and we could be friends. We could even joke about our differences. And there was one guy that I was not close to and he would go to different places in the hotel and call me at, well, call the front desk, ask for me and then say very perverted sexual things. And then he would jump up from wherever he was hiding from and go, Oh, spirit cleanse my ears just to torment me (laughs) and um he was the one person out of everyone I worked with I got to share the Lord but he was the one person I got to buy a Bible for and and really lead him into finding Jesus and so that's just personal example there but then he Paul um addresses the people as to God's church at Corinth Whose church was it? This is a really big concept that we're going to spend some time on. This was God's church at Corinth. You and I are the church. You and I are the bride of Christ. In fact, another way that um, the Holy Spirit communicates this through God's word is we are many parts of one body. That one body being the bride, the church. The church is human. The church is the bride. We are all part of one body. We belong to him and we are part of one global church. The only distinction is where each of the gatherings of people are located. The first century church understood this. In fact, they might not know anyone from God's church in Jerusalem or God's church in any of the locations you want to say. But if they heard word that that group of believers were struggling, they would quickly gather the funds, gather the supplies, and send it to a God's church in another location. It was true family harmony. What if we started rewording some things to help us get this into our minds and spirits, that our location isn't the church, and it isn't better than the gathering that meets next door to us or down the road from us. In fact, we are all a part of the same bride. What if we said, I attend God's church, and then add your location. I attend God's church on Jewel Drive. I attend God's church on Round Bunch or 1442. So the emphasis being on God's church, his bride, his people. God, not God, (laughs) Paul goes on to say, with those in every place who call on the name of Jesus Christ, meaning that this church in Corinth aren't lone rangers. He is addressing anyone who calls on God's name. And if you call on God's name and become a follower of Jesus, you are part of one bride, the global church. You're going to get tired of hearing this 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 morning. Um, He goes on to say to those sanctified in Jesus Christ and called saints. This was a very gentle reminder from Paul that saints can't look like the world. Saints are called by Christ to be set apart. Let me like 
let me refresh you that saints are believers and followers. That's what the Bible defines saints as. These are not dead people that did mighty things and then we pray to them later in life. This, you and I, if we're following God, we are saints and we're called to be set apart. Now this word set apart became very familiar during the tabernacle period for the Jews. Other words we can insert is holy or sanctified. They all mean the same thing. So let me tell you that the vessels in the temple were sanctified or set apart or holy to only be used unto God. For example, a lampstand wasn't something that a priest could carry home on a Thursday night when his wife called him up and said, hey, we're out of electricity. Bring a lampstand home. He could not use that that object in the tabernacle that had been professed as holy that had been set apart for God for something common. He would have have to go and borrow or buy a lampstand at the local convenience store. These vessels were only to be used in God's worship. They were set apart. We see how serious God takes this. In the Old Testament, in the book of Daniel, um, it talks about King Nebuchadnezzar going into Babylon, destroying the temple, and stealing all of the vessels out of the temple and bringing them home for his treasury. Now, years later, when King Belshazzar raises to power, he and his friends are having a party one night, and he calls to have these golden vessels brought out. They fill them with wine, and they pray. they begin praising their gods with them. Well, all of a sudden, a hand appears and writes a message on the wall. The message warned him that his days were numbered, that he had been weighed and had found been found lacking, and that the kingdom would be divided. And in fact, the king was killed that night, and Babylon fell to Persia without any resistance. These set-apart vessels were not to be used as common objects, and this is how serious God takes that. We are to be set apart unto him. Well, the Apostle Paul ends up in the New Testament exclaiming that now we are God's vessels. You and I are. We are called to service for only him. We are not to be common, but holy, set apart, not of this world, even though we're in it. We are to walk in obedience to his scripture, and we are to take that very seriously. Our lives are not our own. We chose to pick up our cross and follow Jesus, and now we're set apart to be used by him. Verses 4 to 5. Paul goes on to say, I always thank my God because of you, of God's grace given to you in Jesus Christ, that in him you were enriched in everything and all speech and knowledge. Paul, that was a lot of words. So we're going to break this down. Paul is admonishing this church because they are enriched in some gifts and specifically in their speech and knowledge. Now, this is the highest compliment that these Corinthians could have received because in this day and age, it was the height of philosophy. I'm talking Plato, Socrates, Greek thought, treasured knowledge, and then the ability to communicate that knowledge. Um, this is a standard pattern for Paul to thank God for certain attributes about the churches that he plants. So we see that he's, it's no different in Corinth. And he does this right before he has to bring some correction. Knowledge and eloquence of speech were highly valued in Corinth. They loved their public speaking and they were really gifted in it. Yet they were using, they were operating in carnality. So carnality is just the world's way of doing things. And you can have a gift that is beautiful and rich and deep that God has given you, but yet use it in a carnal way. So we see this today, even in the church world with gifted speakers and worship leaders that you end up finding out later that 
their life, their personal lives did not reflect Christ at all. But you think, wow, they had such a gift and a big following. Spurgeon tells us that we must lay our gifts on the altar of God regularly or they will be nothing useless. Think about that. When we have these gifts that God has given us, we have a tendency as humans, you and I, to rely on those gifts. It's We rely on our might and our own power through the gift that we do recognize came from God. But Spurgeon is reminding us we've got to lay those constantly on the altar of God and say, how do I use the gift that you gave me? How would you like me to use it? Paul's also proud of them for preaching Jesus and for anticipating his return. This is a thing that I think is lacking with a lot of us today. I can say I've walked through most of my Christian life without really, truly anticipating his return. But the more I go closer to Jesus, the more that begins to stir in my heart. I will say that this is something that scripture says we should do. And if you don't, if you don't have that natural longing and stirring and anticipation for his return, just ask for that. That's something so easy and he will give it to you. He also gives them good news that Christ will strengthen them so that they'll be blameless at the end and God will remain faithful. Well, remember this church had let culture and carnality sleep, slip in, literally sleeping in. Um, how, how can this be that God would remain faithful even in their unfaithfulness? Well, because at salvation, our sin was nailed to the cross with Christ, and he paid for those sins already. Paul is about to expose the Corinthians for their lack of faithfulness, but before he does, he reminds them of God's loving kindness, his steadfastness, and his faithfulness. Thank you, Jesus, for that amazing grace. Well, then he goes on to the first big issue. It's divisions that are in the church. Paul urges the Corinthians in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be divided that to be not divided, but united. There's a rivalry among them. Some are claiming to be followers of Paul, while others are bragging about following Apollos. Some shout that they're following Peter, while others are prideful about their walk with Christ. Well, Paul responds to that, and he asks a series of questions. He says, is Christ divided? Well, this word divided means to tear. So it insinuates that it was one body or one substance at one time, but it's been torn. And he's saying, is Christ divided? Well, certainly not. And then he asked, does, did, was Paul crucified for you? Absolutely not. And were you baptized in Paul's name? No, you're baptized in Jesus's name. So why are we doing this? Also, I have to point out that this was the 10th time that he wrote Jesus Christ in the 10 verses so far. Paul, It's like Paul right now is taking them so lovingly by the shoulders and shaking them, trying to wake them up, loudly communicating, get your eyes off yourself and onto Jesus. He called for this church to be united because they were the bride. And a word, another word, or the same word used for unite would be a word that fishermen used in this day and age to mend their nets. Again, their net being whole and of one piece at one time gets torn, gets separated, and they would unite it by stitching it up. And call, Paul is calling this church to become united. Stitch yourselves up again. Do not be separated. Do not be divided. When boasting about who the Corinthians were following, that it was really self-exaltation. They were saying, look how wise I am. Look how good I am for following the best of the best. 
Could we be doing the exact same thing in our culture by bragging and proclaiming even higher than the name of Jesus, the location of our church? Do you hear what I'm saying? Do we lift up the name of the building we meet at higher than the name of Christ? This is why I went live today. I am now podcasting this and it's not exactly the same video because I could not figure out how to merge the two, but I taught this live because I wanted to connect. I wanted the audience to see me because what I could be communicating today could be offensive. It could be hard to swallow. It could put a sour taste in your mouth, but I really want you to stop right here and pause and pray and say, Holy Spirit, if this is of you, speak to me and soften my heart and show me where I'm at error. I do not take this message lightly and I want to communicate that this is not something I just thought up this week as I was studying. In fact, this has been a seven year journey that God has had me on refining me and getting the spirit of the age out of me. For so long, I would be frustrated with other people who didn't see what I saw. And then I would hit my knees in prayer, asking for God to take this critical spirit from me. I must be like a Pharisee. And that's all I do is see, see these things, but that are wrong. But God would always come back and confirm that it wasn't critical, but it was him showing me how the spirit of the age has taken over the church. To be honest, I had zero thought about talking about that this week whenever I studied. But after I'd completed my study, I was in prayer and just meditating over the scriptures. And the Lord began to download this message onto me. He he really made it clear it's time. So this isn't to be critical, but it's to be like Paul, to grab your shoulders and to shake you awake so that you can use your enriched gifts properly. I discern the Holy Spirit is shaking the church today for the same thing. In fact, just a few minutes after the Holy Spirit had spoken to me about this, I was so excited to get online because I'd been waiting for a podcast to be released where two people that I love and influence me were, um, one was interviewing the other, and this was the topic that the that the Lord is shaking and awakening a church and doing something new in this age and the new thing that he's doing is actually something ancient he's bringing back the church to the original intent and what they were supposed to do and what was happening in Acts so this is a perfect time for us to talk about these things 15 years ago I went to a conference that changed everything about the way churches churched <laughs> Over the course of the time of time, every denominational, um, non-denominational church in America would be influenced by this conference. It all started with a Coke and an ice cream sandwich. Now, don't get me wrong. What I'm about to tell you, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. And I think it's brilliant. At the time, this church, they had figured out a system that could be replicated to make churches run smoother and to get people in the door and to stay and to grow in their faith. And it kind of helped them move along their journey and take their next steps. Well, while you went to the conference, it was so brilliant because instead of just hearing preaching and you think, well, how do I apply this when I get home? It was very practical workshops on how they do things. And they even offered their materials. Like you could go into their database and, and take their, um, the materials that they use to lead people and take your, their name out of it and put yours for free. It was really amazing. But After the second night of the conference, and it was a long day, and um, the lead pastor spoke, and it was an amazing message, 
he asked everyone to stay. He said, we're going to dismiss you, but I don't want you to run off and we'll keep the nurseries open, but we have a surprise for you. And on the lawn of their beautiful campus, they had these big ice chests and they were filled with Cokes and ice cream sandwiches, something so simple, but it was so exciting and refreshing. And after a long day, we just sat out under the stars and we visited with each other. Everybody had smiles on their faces and it was just a wonderful experience. So all over um, the United States, these pastors and church staff went home and they implemented this. They did the same thing for their church. Well, at this certain time, Going back 15 years, it was the perfect season because something else was brewing in our culture, social media. It, w- it was a time where this was new, but likes and shares and attention slowly crept in and became an addiction. Dopamine is actually released in your brain, and they the studies have shown that this can be as addicting as cocaine. So suddenly what truly was something innocent turned into something that brought social media attention to your location in the body of Christ. Um, And what that ended up doing subconsciously is creating a competition in creative moments that would boost social, social media algorithms and make your location shine above all the other locations in the towns and the cities. Remember, we are all God's church and there are to be no divisions. It also manifested into this idea that if a Coke and an ice cream sandwich has got that many likes, what if we go bigger and better? In fact, you have to go bigger and better. There's something called the law of diminishing returns. Once you experience something, it is never going to be like that first time. You're not going to be as impressed. You're not going to be as wild. The goosebumps aren't going to be as big. So the results after a decade of this is just over-the-top silliness that has absolutely nothing to do with the cross. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, it's not with clever words so that the cross of Christ will not be emptied of its effect. See, in the church of Corinth or in um, Greek culture, the way that you spoke was everything. So the church leaders in in, in this day and time, they were trying to use their... um, the, the things that the orators were learning to gather in an audience, they were using that to convince people to follow Jesus. And what Paul was warning them of is if we focus on that, we can actually have an emptied effect of the message of the cross. Well, I say, what if we substitute the clever words with our experiences that we bring into church. It's not balloon arches. It's not a fancy Easter Mother's Day service. It's not a a crazy production that will um, communicate the cross of Christ. And we don't want to empty, use those things and make God's message of the cross and the gospel be emptied of its effects. The Corinthians use carnality, which is a materialism to decide who to follow and where to worship. They paid attention to external superficial methods. This is nothing new under the sun. The Lord tells us that man looks at the outward appearance and the Lord looks at the heart. So they paid attention to the external superficial methods. Paul makes it clear that it's possible to proclaim the cross in a way that makes no effect. Remember, it's not by mind or by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Another way to say this is it's not by fancy productions or beautiful backdrops or cool giveaways or the most amazing coffee, but by his spirit. The message translation says this about verse 17. 
God didn't, or says not about, but this is how they quote it. God didn't send me out to collect a following for myself. Isn't that so applicable in this day and age with platforms and followers? But he called me to preach the message of what has been done, collecting a following for him. He didn't send me to do it with a lot of fancy rhetoric of my own, lest the powerful action at the center, Christ on the cross, be trivialized into mere words. The Holman Christian Standard Bible says, it's not with clever words so that the power of Christ, the cross will be not emptied of its effect. In other words, don't lean on your gifts, your antics, your charm, your humor, or anything else to convince people to do what you say. Preach the gospel, then step back and allow the Holy Spirit to operate. The same can be true by those of us that feel like we don't have it all. We can't speak. We don't have enough knowledge. We're not eloquent enough. We don't have this. We don't have that. The same power that lives in the people with the gifts lives in you. And it doesn't matter if you have all the gifts in the world or none whatsoever. When we obey, then that Holy Spirit power is released to change hearts and lives. A word came up time and time again in my study with all these old commentaries of um, these pastors of old that we just love. And it was the word lure. It was associated with human wisdom. And today churches admit to use fancy modern things to lure young people in. Is our human effort to lure the world into church working? Is there Holy Ghost power behind it? Or is God lifting up his hands and backing off and saying, oh, you want to use carnality and human wisdom and your might and not mine? I'll let you. You might come back and tell me of all the testimonies of life change you've seen. Let me remind you of the difference between Athens and Corinth. If you do not listen to the intro, then this is not going to make sense to you. Go back and listen to it. But remember in Athens, we see that Paul is going to the, the Stoics and the philosophers, and he is using his, his rhetoric. He, I mean, he is so brilliant and so educated, and he is quoting philosophers. And it really, truly is a magnificent speech. But he didn't really see that many people come to believe like he did in the other places. Remember, it was anticlimactic. He ended up leaving and having a completely different approach with um, the church in Corinth. Now, let's look at our culture change over the past 15 years. The early church pushed back culture and its power of darkness. Altars to false gods became ruins. Women were treated differently. Orphans and widows were cared for. The world became better. This is something I've talked about time and time again, and I'll continue to talk about it because it's mind-blowing to me, that the Oracle of Delphi, this was a, a prophetess that, that all of the elites of the world would travel to to gain her wisdom because she spoke for the gods. And the Oracle of Delphi said the gods have stopped speaking. I mean, talk about power pushing back darkness. With this, let's wow them with our fancy services filled with material things. I have some questions for us. Are our churches growing? Yes, you can look at that and count the people. Is the Holy Spirit transforming lives and hearts? All we can look at is the fruit. So if our churches are growing bigger and lives are transforming, then are we changing our culture and pushing back darkness? The answer is no, argumentatively no. Darkness is growing, my friends, and, and this exposes the fact that we are not being as effective as we think we are. 
I believe that we are quenching the Holy Spirit by operating in the worldly wisdom and neglecting his moving of the Holy Spirit. Oh, there's a few things that I want to talk about. One, and this is our, our events that we throw. I want you to know that I'm not against this. I hope this is going to come across at the end, um, that I'm not against these things, but I do think that we need to reevaluate. We've got to look at our culture and see that over the past 15 years, it has changed at a very high pace and for the worse. And so we've got to pull back and say, let's reevaluate, let's regroup, and let's do some things different. When we throw an event, that event will need to be topped in order to impress the congregation the following year. That will take a tremendous amount of brainstorming, meetings upon meetings, then hours of creating and putting everything together. Remember, the law of diminishing returns demands this and the money, the money spent to make that $1,000 balloon arch. Well, I um, This is something that we have to consider. And as I go back and remember a book that I read earlier in the year by the late great Leonard Ravenhill, it's called Why Revival Tarries. He wrote to a pre-consumer driven church. Let me say that again. He wrote a long time ago. This is way before the church was consumed with materialism. And he is still crying out in his books for their lack of prayer. Revival comes, the Holy Spirit comes and moves through us getting low and asking for it. There was a podcast, or not a podcast, a reel of um, a pastor that I like and I listen to, and he's got cute little words of wisdom. And he tells of a story of a pastor's church that was growing, and they didn't know why. They had not done anything. It had been stagnant for decades. But all of a sudden, it was experiencing growth. So people were reaching out and asking what he was doing. And he was thinking, nothing. I don't, you know, they were perplexed at why the sudden growth. Well, one day... He walked into the sanctuary, and he had seen a newer cleaning lady, and she was laying hands on every seat. And he asked her what she was doing, and she said, oh, when I clean the sanctuary, I just take time, and I pray over every seat and the people coming. And he just kind of tilted his head and looked, and and his wheels started turning, and he said, how long have you been working for us? And she said, about six months, the exact amount of time that they had experienced that church growth. It comes from the Spirit. The early church or the church of the early, I'm sorry, the church of the early 21st century were not praying like they should. And they raised up a new generation of pastors who mimicked them because they were discipled by them. But now we're going to add on the months and months of planning and the weeks of putting everything together so that the event will be good enough to impress everyone. Well, my friends, there's hardly enough time for the prayer that needs to go into over the event. And I, I submit to you this. This is what we do. We plan, we think, we brainstorm. And at the end, oh, let's all get together. Let's join hands and let's pray that God moves. That is so backwards. In the book of Acts, chapter 13, I'm going through this again. And something stood out that I've never noticed before. And it's at the church of... Um, of Antioch in Syria, Syrian Antioch. And this is where the the term Christians first got coined. And you see Paul and Barnabas there, and there's three other named leaders. And this is, it's in this chapter that they fast, and the Lord reveals that Paul and Barnabas need to take the show on the road. Well, well, they didn't just sit around and brainstorm and think, hey, how can we make this, uh, this, this Christian gig bigger and better and reach more people? Oh, I know. Y'all should take it on the road. They didn't do that. The word says they ministered to the Lord and fasted. When I always read that, I just read, I mean, they, they were busy working in the church 
of um, Antioch. So I just always read it. They ministered and they fasted like they were ministering to other people, but it says they ministered to the Lord. So I just started my journey on studying exactly what this means and what it really means in this scenario that I've given of throwing the event, spending all this time brainstorming, then spending all these weeks, putting it together. And then let's all grab hands at the end. Saying that that is backwards, ministering to the Lord would be getting low and getting quiet and saying, Holy Spirit, what would you have us do this year? How can we reach the lost? And through time of sitting in his presence, he begins to download blueprints to us. And we run with those blueprints. It is not up to us to use our own human might and effort and ability and talent that he's given us to create these amazing experiences and then say, oh, Lord, bless it. No, we need to know his heart. In fact, one of the, the, the pastors that I was um, reading his, his take on ministering to the Lord, he was pointing out how we can do a million things that are good for the Lord. It changes our community and it even gets notoriety for us. And God could be up there saying, that's not even what I had you do. And those things, because of the goodness and grace of God, we will see fruit in them. But just like Paul in Athens, he saw fruit. But my gosh, when he moved in the spirit in other places, it was more radical. And so maybe we're doing good things and in our own mind and by the grace of God, he's moving. But what if he's saying, I had something completely different for you and it was going to be entirely more impactful for the kingdom. Secondly, I'm questioning if God is pleased with us using materialism and professionalism to overshadow neighboring churches. They're part of our body of Christ. We may be the right thumb and maybe they're the left thumb. Why do we spend so much time, money, and energy promoting our right thumb instead of boasting in Christ? Can our right thumb save? No, only Jesus can be boasted on. Only he can save. So what do we do as church leaders and church attenders? I have what I believe is the start of a solution for both of us. For church leaders, discipleship. We start by training ourselves that we are God's church just at a particular location. Let's not spend time, creativity, and resources to promote the location. Let's just promote God. I promise you will be entrusted with more when we steward this well. Secondly, church leaders, listen to what is being glorified. Recently, I stopped on a shared testimony on Facebook. I love testimonies. In fact, the word of God says it's by the... um, Blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony that we overcome him. That is our, that's what we have. We have our testimony and that's how we help fight in the kingdom of God. And so I get passionate about this. That's what the sisterhood weekends are all about. And so I stopped to listen. Well, the person in the video spent the entire time praising the location of the church and the people inside and never one time said the name of Jesus. They promoted their church higher than all else. That's a red flag that that church is unhealthy. The person given the testimony wasn't at fault. That's how they had been discipled. What was more heartbreaking to me was that the staff people involved in this, you have to shoot the video, you have to edit the video, you have to upload the video, you have to show the video. And not one person on that staff realized that their name had been lifted high instead of Jesus. When we see our events at our locate in our location's name getting more attention than Christ, it's time to pull back. Teach and disciple your congregation. 
going back to the ice cream sandwich illustration, I am not against people giving out Cokes and ice cream. I think it's fabulous. I had a great time being the participant in that and also had a great time um, with um, something that we tried at our church when we came back in town. Um, it was a bluebell um, the bluebell crisis of whatever year it was where um, bacteria had gotten in the bluebell factory. There was no bluebell on any of the shelves. And I don't know, months and months and months went by. And suddenly the factory was back producing ice cream. And, of course, Houston gets the first of it. So we called our, our um, ice cream vendor who we were always hiring for events. And we said, can you get us some bluebell? And he said, the only thing that's available are those little cups like you get in the school lunch line with the little wooden spoons. And we're like, load it up, load your truck up, go. So one Sunday we surprised everyone with bluebell ice cream and it was so fun and I would do it over and over and over again. I think it was epic. Um, so uh, the congregation was the first in town to get this bluebell ice cream and it was just fun, it was exciting. Of course it blew up all on social media and of course other, um, other families in the body criticized. What I would do now after God has refined me and worked with me and talked with me, if this was something that happened today, I would get up the following Sunday and say something like this. Hey, guys, wasn't last week so much fun? Oh, my goodness. We wanted to surprise y'all. We wanted to bless y'all. We wanted to love on y'all and we by providing this ice cream. But, boy, did that backfire on us. Y'all ended up loving and appreciating and making us feel good. And it just was so wonderful. But I do want you to remember that first and foremost, as ambassadors of Christ, we are to proclaim the name of Jesus higher than all. And y'all did a really good job of promoting the name of our location. But let's moving forward this week. Let's if you shared something about us, let's double that with proclaiming the name of Jesus. So let's two in two different posts this week. I challenge you to share the goodness of God in your life. Give testimony, testify of something that He has done. And you know what? I'm talking to y'all now, the audience. <laughs> if we do this and someone hears that and they go to God's church in another location, guess what? We still win because we're all part of the same team. We're part of the same family. Um, a, a quote that I, has been going around for years that I've heard and it's true, it's what will we draw them with? We have to keep them with. But I saw one that really struck a chord deeper in me and it said, what we draw them with is what we draw them to. So if we use materialistic things to draw them in, then we are drawing them to materialism. And as church leaders, we have to be better than that. On the contrary, the early church had nothing but the power of their testimony. If the spirit is alive and moving and working in your church, then others will talk about it and come because our land in America is spiritually starving. People are wanting something. So if they hear about the goodness of God, they're going to come. Now to members of churches, this is what your challenge. I challenge all of us to change our language. I started practicing this about four years ago. Instead of saying how much, how much I love my church, because do you see how that's sowing division? Not your church. I love my church. Already I'm putting a wall up and saying there's a difference between the two. I started saying I love God's church. I love the bride of Christ. Or even more than that, I love my Jesus. I love the God I serve. I, I'm trying to say less about the location and more about the one that we serve. The church 
God's bride at all locations have the same God who redeems and restores, and they all have people who love and care and serve. So let's use our language to just encourage others into the body of Christ rather than a location. Maybe after you experience a fun and unique service, challenge yourself to share a personal spiritual moment that left you marked over a materialistic thing that won't travel to the next world. For example, you could say and, and, you know, take a picture and share and say, man, church was so amazing today. Our pastor all left us with a surprise that he provided a bluebell ice cream for all of us. But even more than the ice cream, I got the opportunity to minister to the Lord. And boy, did he show up and end up touching me. While having a very hard week at work, a member of our church came up and prayed over me and my family, and I could feel the spirit of the Lord. It built my faith, and I'm so encouraged. Man, I hope anyone out there needing a touch would consider reaching out to me or maybe finding a church home of your own to try this Sunday. God will meet you too. Leave your audience hearing about Christ and his life-changing power. Well, in wrapping up, we're going on to verse 18. Paul is setting up something that we're going to discuss in the next two weeks. He's contrasting the wisdom of this age, man's wisdom or humanism, with the wisdom of God, which is only understood by those who choose to believe. Rhetorical um, techniques were used to wow and influence and convince the culture of this day. In Paul's, in Paul's day, Paul reminds the church that it's the content that matters, not the presentation. Remember John 6, no one comes to me unless the father draws him. We must present the cross with the dependency on the Holy Spirit to woo and to draw them, not our eloquent words. He goes on to show that the most educated Jews and enlightened Greeks did not have the wisdom or the as to see who Jesus was when he was, when his following, the, the less educated, um, saw it so easily. You can be so intelligent and well-educated, but yet have lack in wisdom. Then Paul gives good news. He says it's the foolish ones who shame the wise. He always chooses the one society overlook. And that's good news for you and I. Moses had a speech problem. David was the youngest in his family. Gideon was the smallest. Rahab was a prostitute. The disciples didn't make the rabbinical school cut. Mary and Joseph were from a nothing town of Nazareth. And God changed the world with these. And he can do the same thing with you and I. I'm leaving you with um, a little thought from the Beatitudes, um, this is Jesus's, one of his first sermons recorded in the gospel, and he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, blessed are the gentle, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and the persecuted. Family, we are the Corinthian church. We have many, many gifts and resources, yet we have used worldly wisdom for far too long. Let's get back to the basics of prayer, serving our community regularly and humbly without all the hype, allow the Holy Spirit to move like he did in the early church and just watch and see darkness dissipate. I love you guys. Happy reading. See you next week.